Hi, this is Haley Beebe, the Carveline Color Admin. Welcome to the Carveline Tech Service Podcast, the go-to industrial coatings podcast. Here are your hosts, Jack Walker and Paula Janus. You know, it's kind of hard to uh, create small talk when nothing's really happening in the real world or in life outside of the one thing that nobody really wants to talk about. Boy, isn't that the truth? You know, there's, I don't have a cool story to tell about, you know, a baseball game or... <laughs> no, my kids aren't doing anything. Everybody's just kind of sitting around the house. Now... I did pull my son out of a baseball tournament that uh, Time Magazine wrote about this past week uh, about how they couldn't believe Missouri was uh, going back to playing. Oh, <laughs> yeah. We've started to get some of the uh, softball rules, which I don't know. My, my catcher daughter is not very excited about, but yeah, I mean, I get you want to be safe, but the things they're doing to the baseball is a little in softball to be safe. It, I don't know that it's really baseball or softball anymore. She knows that part of her job as catcher is to get a good relationship with that umpire who is literally breathing down your neck for half the game. And, you know, to have a conversation with them, get to know them, help to keep them on your side for those marginal calls. You know, you got to be able to work on framing and do all that. And if the umpire is standing six feet behind the pitcher in softball, now it's 51 feet away or she's two feet back. So like 60 feet away on a softball diamond. You just, you lose that, that communication. You lose that, uh, that thing you work on that little extra. So here we are again, Redfern, we're coming for you. That's all I got to say about that. (laughs) Yeah. He's not looking forward to us being back in the building. People have started hedging bets, whether or not this will actually happen. Oh, then it needs to happen then. Yeah. Yeah. I had a VP who remained nameless told me there's no way. Zero, zero (laughs) percent chance. Well, that may be all it takes. True. Yeah. But Mr. Redfern, we're coming for you. Today, we have some important business to take care of, though, because uh, we didn't wrap it up last week. So we need to talk a little bit more about some of the different coding technologies that are available and um, kind of their costs and life cycles associated with it. So we, we talked about primers. We looked at uh, primers and single components, actually. So we looked at alkyd coatings, we looked at acrylic coatings, and we looked at some zinc-rich coatings uh, and some epoxy coatings. Remember that epoxies are the widest range, that they carry some of the cheapest coatings, but they also carry some of the most expensive coatings because when you get into that high chemical resistance, now you got to pay for that. That's right. And a lot of the stuff that you're looking at when you deal with an epoxy is the ability to go with different surface prep techniques. When you're dealing with zinc, if you're dealing with galvanizing, if you're dealing with some of the more sophisticated products, surface prep is much more important and much more critical to a good system. But epoxies have such a wide range that it is possible to get away in a lot of cases with an SP2 or an SP3 surface prep where you couldn't do that with an inorganic zinc. You need a better surface prep for inorganic zinc. So you can sacrifice your surface prep but that surface tolerant epoxy is going to be a little more expensive than a regular one. So there's that give and take there with that. Yeah. So with having to ask some alkyds and acrylics for forgiveness, today we're supposed to mostly going to be talking about top coats. And, and we know alkyds and acrylics are top coats too, but we kind of covered 
There's only so much you can say about those products, and we pretty much covered that in the last episode. So today we're going to be talking about the standard products that you would use for ultra weatherability or weatherability to have good color and gloss retention. Really, we're looking at aliphatic urethanes. We're looking at polysiloxanes, fluorothanes. Those those cover the main ones, and you've got some polyaspartics that are have recently started to come into their own on the market. So that's really the technologies that we're going to be looking at. And and in most cases, you can apply these over epoxies. Generally, all of these can go okay over an epoxy. Some of them you can apply directly to uh, zinc. Some of them you can't. Some of them you need a little more of a buffer zone there between them. That's generally what it is that we're that we're going to be talking about. Yeah, and next week we'll come in and we'll, we'll look at some of the more commonly put together systems just to try and bring it all together and bring it all home, you talk about how these different things add up and become the systems that go into place. That's right. And we did cover a lot about paint 36, those paint 36 level three, those are urethanes that we're talking about. We have talked about a little bit with the polyaspartics in the ultra weatherable. So we're not going to get deep into the chemistry of those on this one. We've kind of already covered those in previous issues. So just scroll back on through your favorite podcatcher app and uh, look at those past episodes. What, you don't have it memorized this week like you did last week? No, I did a little more research last week. I I didn't look this one up. I didn't think about that topic head. As we start to look at top coat technology, really where you come in at the lowest cost is your standard polyurethane. It's the tried and true one that everybody has. Every paint company has them. Everybody has who's an industrial painter is familiar with them. They're typically put on in thin films. We're looking at anywhere between, you know, one and a half or two mils on the low side. And maybe if you've got a really high build one, you're looking at like six mils typically. You know, that two to four is the sweet spot for these kinds of products. Straightforward polyurethane, not many bells and whistles, is going to be the least expensive top coat. That's right. You know, you're looking at something, it's going to be user friendly, they're easy to apply. Contractors are used to them. Painters are used to them. You're typically looking at something between, you know, 55 and 75% solids is the general range that you see these kinds of products. So they're easy to use. They've been on the market a long time. Paint companies understand them for a manufacturing side and applicators understand them from an application side. Sure. And within that family, for the most part, everything's pretty close aligned. Your aliphatic acrylics, your aliphatic high build acrylics, your aromatic primers, your aliphatic polyester, polyurethanes, and and that's an older technology that technology's fading a little bit due to some VOC issues. And then even moisture cured urethanes that we briefly talked about last week, they're all within the same ballpark for application costs. That's right. So really in these scenarios, it comes down to surface prep, and application cost to be able to say how much extra effort is it going to take to put that whole system together compared to the durability of the system. And I was listening to a real interesting conversation just earlier today. And the question was, what is more durable, six mils of epoxy or four mils of epoxy and two mils of urethane? And Really, it came down to that weatherability factor that comes in with the urethanes. And in the discussion, I wasn't part of it, but I agreed with the way the discussion went. Typically, you're going to see that urethane is going to add more than two mils of epoxy life. 
you've got a surface that's very weatherable. It's resistant to UV. And this is saying that we're in a UV environment and we're not atmospheric or we're not uh, immersion service or we're not in some severe chemical environment or, or anything else extreme. Those thin films that we put on the surface really do add a tremendous amount of weatherability to an atmospheric coating system. So they are more expensive than epoxies, but that thin film a little bit adds a lot of years to the life of the coating. And again, like we talked about a couple of episodes ago, it also depends on what you consider to be your service life or the failure point of that system. You know, if it's an iconic structure, color and gloss, when they wear out, you're going to say it's out of its service life. Yeah. And then on the other hand, if you look at fluorinated polyurethanes, now you're in the most expensive type of top coat, even though it's in that same polyurethane family. You know, when you get into those, you're putting on an even thinner film and it's going to typically outlast most of the other ones if it's put into a good sound system. So that's usually what you see. You see a lot of fluorinated systems when you're talking about those, you know, unicorn systems of I need 30 years, I need 40 years, I want 50 years. When you get out to those time frames, they're frequently looking at a fluorinated type system with a fluorinated top coat. Sure. And one of the places that the fluorinated uh, urethanes are most commonly used is in the water tank market for exteriors of water tanks. Because if you think about it, there's a whole lot of work that goes into coating a water tank. So they they want to do it infrequently as possible. So they're going to lay the money out up front in order to get a product that's going to give them more years in service. That's exactly right. And, you know, one of the other things to keep in mind is throughout the history, as far as I've paid attention, labor never gets cheaper. So spending a little bit more now, adding 10 years to your service life is likely going to be cheaper than the cost 10 years, you know, down the road putting on another coat. Labor doesn't get cheaper. Now, there are some exceptions because as technology advances, you may find some ways to do things more cost effectively. But the actual cost of the humans to stand there and to do the work and to take the risk and to be put in harm's way, that's where you're really going to be continually, your prices are going to go up. And in a lot of cases, that's kind of the thing that you're looking at is how often do I want to put somebody into a difficult scenario to do this job? And so that's Sometimes a lot of the, the decision is based around that. If you've got a ground level tank, that may not ever be a problem. You don't often have people in harm's way. You've got easy access. You're in a good working environment. But if you're working on a water tower, you have scaffolding or staging of some sort. You're going to have to get up. You're working from heights. And that's why, if you remember back a couple episodes ago, you know, you had that multiplier effect. The higher you go, the higher that multiplier is because of that risk factor that's involved. All right, Paul, here we go. It's that time where uh, I guess we're going to talk about you and your guys again. Hey, you know, that's always a good place to start. I mean, I don't know why we do that. You already got big enough pads. <laughs> we're just trying to fill the space that has been presented to us. And when you have an industry-leading technical team, it's great to keep them out there in front of everybody. That's right. Monday through Friday from 8 p.m. to 5 p.m. Central Time, you can reach our award-winning technical service department just by chat. Go to carboline.com, and in the bottom right-hand corner, you'll see a little dialog box. Just go ahead and click on there, and you'll get one of Paul's and his guys. And if you get Paul, make sure you call him Paul. Now back to the show. Sure. So after polyurethanes, the, the next one at an implied cost would be the siloxanes. And the siloxanes 
we had Mary Rowley on very early in the life of the show and we talked about ultra weatherable finishes. So if you want to learn more yep. about saloxanes and those kind of things and the things that we're talking about today, that episode is a really good one. What I will say is that with saloxanes, you're also looking a lot at water tower tanks as well, but saloxanes spread more out into the real world. Absolutely. We see a lot of saloxanes on uh, situations like dam gates where you know, you're working on a water reservoir of some sort and you have this gate that is sometimes in immersion, sometimes out of immersion. It's always got a lot of weather on it. You're working in harsh environments and it's going to live in a harsh environment. And so one of the nice things that polysiloxanes bring to them is you're typically applying them a little thicker. You're usually in that five to seven mil range for the application of, of a polysiloxane. They're frequently easy to modify with a little bit of epoxy. It gives them a little more durability. It makes them a little more wet proof. You know, we don't typically see them in full immersion scenarios, but when you have uh, intermittent immersion, they work really great. And there's a lot of history, a lot of water authorities out there that have polysiloxanes on their gates. And it's, it's for just this reason. Yeah. Or, uh, uh, floating roofs of tanks and things like that. They, they can handle some of the ponding water, just not your traditional, um, immersion. That's right. This next one kind of threw me for a loop and, and it makes me realize we have to make a disclaimer about these two episodes. When we talk about the costs of coatings and we are ranking them, we are not ranking them in a price per gallon fashion. We are ranking them in a applied square footage recommended thickness type equation because the next one that comes up as far as cost per square foot is probably the cheapest out of all of them per gallon, and that's the polyurea. And the polyurea is the reason why they are so much more expensive at an applied cost uh, with square footage and theoretical thickness as opposed to per gallon is because we're putting on a polyurea a lot of times at around a quarter of an inch thick or 250 mils. So like a hundred times thicker than we're, we're putting on a lot of these other top coats. So of course that's going to drive that square footage price. Absolutely. Jack and polyureas kind of stick out differently from all these other technologies we're talking about right now, because polyureas are usually a standalone system. Mm -hmm. Calling them a top coat isn't really right. Cause they're, they're a one coat system for most of the time. What I will say about them is they are not ultra weatherable. They do not have the UV resistance that these other coatings have. That being said, we kind of have to talk about them here just because of the cost that they carry with them. Right. And, you know, again, we're basing our whole discussion on this service life of coatings document from NACE, and it is included there. And I think one of the main reasons that it's included is you see polyureas on the outside of a lot of pipes and frequently in pipes, especially in the wastewater handling or sometimes freshwater handling, because pipes will frequently be out of the ground. They'll be buried. They may be in an area that frequently has a overflow river or a drainage canal run across it. So sometimes they're wet, sometimes they're not, sometimes they're buried, sometimes they're not. So they frequently just throw a polyurea on it 
And that way, all of the pipe can be painted at once. It's all one system. And if it's in immersion, fine. If it's in the air, it's thick enough that it can withstand that breakdown that you get on the surface layer of the chalking and the downglossing. Because you, like you said, you've got it on so thick that it's able to tolerate that and get a really long, long life out of it. So with the polyureas, most people know about them, but they don't really actually know what they are. Anybody who's ever seen a spray truck bed liner, that's mm -hmm. typically a polyurea. So think about the properties that you get with that spray on coating for your truck bed. It's all the things Paul just said. You have your impact abrasion resistance. You have yep. flexibility because, you know, there's some movement that happens within the bed. And it's, it's a really great technology for protection. But just like all the other technologies, there's advantages and disadvantages. And you always want to talk to Paul and his guys when you're making those kinds of decisions at the specification level. Out of all of the coatings that we talked about, that leaves pretty much polyaspartics. And we kind of uh, skipped them a little bit. They come in a little under siloxanes, actually. So my bad. But what's interesting about the polyaspartic is now we're taking uh, some of the technology like a polyurea, but we're giving it aliphatic type properties. You know, and... That's a good point that you make. And the other thing that you have to add to it is frequently polyaspartics are applied with one less application. So when typically when we're looking at these long life systems, you're typically looking at, you know, a zinc epoxyurethane or, you know, a multi-coat epoxy epoxyurethane or these very thick polyureas. But you can frequently get by with an application of a zinc, whether that's organic, inorganic, uh, galvanizing, metallizing, and then you put a polyaspartic on it. And you're still up in that high life range, that 25 year plus range for your normal, you know, what's it, C2 environment, which is where these kind of products live. So you really do have to take into account the applied cost. Now, some of those zincs are a little more expensive to apply than others, but when you're only applying two coats of paint, you can really save on the labor there and bring yourself to a new level of performance with a fewer number of coats. Sure. With the polyaspartics, we've seen them really take off in the last uh, decade or so. And, you know, even move out into, we've seen them on stadium specifications and things like that. And yeah. that's come a long way because a lot of times that's one coat systems too. You know, there, there can be a primer, but the thing here where polyaspartics win is anything where you don't have time. This is where, you know, I think of OEM a lot, you know, because you, the polyaspartics typically are going to be dry to the touch in under an hour, probably closer to a half hour. Absolutely. You can really move parts through an assembly line style scenario or get, get parts out of a application room and get them out into a laydown yard and, and keep your process moving. Yeah, I kind of look at the the polyaspartic as a jack of all trades, master of none. You know, it's the master of <laughs> of speed, right? It's fast, but you get all of these different qualities that you get from other coatings, like great flexibility that comes from the polyurea side of it. You get really good color and gloss retention that comes from the polyurethane side of it. Yep, and you really end up with a really good universal coating that I really think due to the high solids natures of the technology will evolve to becoming the new general purpose coatings 20, 30 years from now. So if we're still doing this in 20 years, we'll uh, have to go back to this episode. If you're, yeah, it'll be, man, 20 years. Man, I hope to be retired by that point, but that doesn't mean I'm not still doing something like this. Yeah, me too. But, you know, I think that's a good point 
to stop. So we reviewed all of these. And if we want to kind of talk about it, you have, you know, your basic polyurethanes are going to be the cheapest applied out of all these different technologies that we're talking about at the recommended thickness. Actually, polyspartics come in next. So we talked about them last, but they come in next, uh, followed by siloxanes, then polyureas, then fluorinated polyurethanes. And with all of those, all of your service lives, the, the fluorourethane has the longest color and gloss retention out of any product out there, ours, theirs, anybody's. So That's right. And that's why you pay the most for it. Correct. You, you get longevity, you, you pay for it. So uh, next time, we're going to kind of look into how these systems interact with each other and kind of explore some of the ways that the different aspects of the system can drive the cost, whether that's surface prep, the coating itself, cost, uh, labor that is associated with it, because, you know, all of those things are factors. That's right. So in the meantime, if you want to talk more about any of these products, any of these systems, any of these ideas, uh, you can talk, reach out to anybody here at Tech Service or Carboline. You reach us at technicalservice at carboline.com. You can get us on any of the 800 numbers and, uh, we're also staffing the chat line at the uh, website. So feel free to jump in there and ask them a question. Absolutely. So for Paul, I'm Jack. We'll see you next time. And so for the Carboline Tech Service Podcast, I'm Paul. And I'm Jack. And we'd, we'd like, like to, to thank, thank you for your support. Who put the line?